This week on the show, we're going to be talking about some some pretty high-minded design principles. Like, here's one I hadn't even considered. We used to design for above the fold, and you can pretty much forget that concept now. People scroll. We also have got a phone call from our friend Mark Manson, who shared with us some incredible results he saw by implementing some of these ideas. So I switched from PostMasculine to MarkManson.net. The first month's growth in terms of uh, traffic was just like stupefying. I, I had 1.1 million page views in the first month. Welcome to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can find us at tropicalmba.com. I thought I was the host. You're supposed to be the co-host. Welcome to the Tropical <laughs> MBA podcast. <laughs> You can find us at tropicalmba.com. Hey, Ian, how do you feel at your new uh, podcast home? Are you feeling comfortable? I feel great. (laughs) The other day, uh, I said I wanted to do a podcast about design, and you said there was no way we can do a podcast about this. What I said is there's no way you can talk about design without a screen. And you said, au contraire, my friend. Au contraire. I took it as a challenge and went and tracked down the guy that knows more about this stuff than anyone I know. John Myers, Kaiser Sose, and we brought him here to the Tropical MBA podcast. I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast that you're probably selling something. And so this podcast, we're going to talk about good design. And good design helps you sell things because it builds credibility online. Today we have an eight-point checklist that we're going to take you through, and we're going to talk about the power of good design. I was reading a thread the other day and Mark Manson announced that the redesign of his site created an increase of sales by 50% and his book shot up the Amazon charts and he was the number 33 best-selling author mm-hmm. uh, ahead of Malcolm Gladwell um, and he attributes the change just due to a site design. Have you seen Mark's new site? I have and it's pretty awesome. Um, I think that's one of the really cool things about design is sometimes it has unintended consequences. Hopefully that was an intended consequence, but that uh, in his case, he boosted conversion, sold more stuff. What do you think honestly of the Tropical <coughs> MBA redesign? Ouch, man, putting me on the spot. <laughs> uh, Let's get right to it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, my neck hurts. Uh, <laughs> um, it, I'll tell you what you said. You said it looks dated. Yeah. Okay. I did. Um, I, I think it does look dated, but uh, ultimately I think it depends on what your goals are. So if you're trying to engage a newer audience, engage a different audience, I don't think it accomplishes that goal. So John, tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure. I'm John Myers. I'm a user interface and user experience designer who has been doing this type of work for over 15 years. I'm also a startup guy, so I tend to think of design through the lens of design, entrepreneurship, and startups. The first element, the number one most important element, copy. Here's my problem with copy, because there's a lot of internet marketing consulting airheads that you know, you don't need to talk about features. You need to talk about the benefits of the benefits of the benefits. And the problem is, is you have this infinite regression of benefit focus and all of a sudden, you know, your headline is something like, we help smart businesses grow. It's like, what the heck is going on on this website? What is that a derivative from? Yeah, I think copy, I think copy is the most important element of design. And I do think of it as an element of design. If you have bad messaging and bad copy, uh, there's no amount of good design that's going to cure that. And so you really need solid messaging, 
clear communication of exactly what you do and how it's going to benefit the visitor. You were One saying, of the tricks, when in doubt, be literal. When in doubt, be literal. Absolutely. Tell me exactly what it does. And a lot of us are in the business of selling intangibles, which makes it even more important to be explicit and tell me exactly what you do and exactly what the highest level benefit of that is. I don't like lorem ipsum. I usually design with messaging in mind. I don't know as a designer, like a good designer just doesn't throw walls of text and arrange them around that's a decorator uh, you know i have this it, it, just to back up real quick at the derivative thing we help e-commerce stores grow or we help e-commerce stores rank number one on google what's a better headline Actually, i don't like either one it doesn't have any energy you know i would i would say you know uh, if you're going to go for a generic statement like that then uh, why not make it more energetic you know rocket fuel for your e-commerce business I, I like that. How we can increase your business by 50%. My problem is, is like, you know, with those kinds of headlines, and I don't know if I'm wrong about this or right or whatever, but when I go on the internet, I'm not looking to grow my business. That's like nobody goes to Google and is like, I'm thinking about growing my business today. Well, yeah. one thing about that is I think most people that come to your site, or in some cases, they're already qualified before they get to your site. Right, and that kind of depends. It kind of depends on how they get to your site, right? But yeah, um, true. Yeah, I mean, if they know about you before, if they know about your work, then it then it does make sense to have an impactful headline like that. Well, it helps. I think it makes more sense to say exactly what you do, so I know whether I need. I know whether I need to rank number one on Google or not. Yeah, I know. What, Rocket full for your rankings. Well, or I know, I know if I want to scroll. You know, I mean, I, I might just abandon the page right there if it's a dead headline. I'm not going to take any action, right? And so you need really clear messaging and <clears throat> high impact uh, copy right there at the top. You have to tell them exactly uh, what it is you do. Point is that copy is the most important aspect of a design in yep. a site of a site design, and this is one of the things that we have struggled with throughout the years is uh, trying to communicate to our designers what the intent of our product is or what our company is, and that's something that's really important. So you hire a contract graphic designer or site designer, it makes sense to sit down with them and have them understand what your product line is, right? Well, and you as the <clears throat> product owner, you might actually write the copy out first. So you, you have a text editor, you can write text out on your own. Have this stuff ready to go so you can hand it to a designer and not retrofit that stuff in. So the second point then brings us to typography, which is different from copy. So typography, you know, most of website, the most important part of the website is the, the body text, right? Correct. So the 80-20 of design is making that look good. So how do we do that? Uh, first of all, your headline, it has to stand out. So you need good typography, good contrast in your text and, uh, to make things stand out, right? So you want your headline to have <clears throat> a certain level of impact. You don't want to use too many different fonts. And I would say one of the other biggest errors I see being made with uh, site design is uh, line height spacing. So you want your line height to be 1.4 to 1.6 times the t uh, size of your text. Yeah, and you, you can even just do it in your CSS. So that's the easiest way to do it. So your line height, you just specify um, right. at that. And so you can see, you know, if the text is too tight, that means it's not readable. And the whole idea is to get someone to read what your, those words you're putting on the screen. Tell us about typecast.net. How do you <coughs> use that tool? So uh, Typecast is an awesome tool that allows you to just style text. So they have um, access to Typekit, Google Fonts, all these third-party systems that allow you to use non-standard web fonts. Right. And you can style the text on the screen. You can, uh, they automatically set it up for appropriate contrast. 
Uh, you can test the different fonts and then you can export them for different uh, uses. It actually just exports the CSS right out of the um, web service. It's pretty killer. I think medium.com is a pretty good site if you want to see some good typography in action, some good spacing in action. That's a good point. They they use the golden ratios of typography uh, for web presentation. I think they do a great job. So this is the 80-20 design here right now, which is if you're, if it's the same thing with, with the headline, when in doubt, be literal. Yeah. When you're in doubt of your design, just get your copy and your body text typography good to go. That's all you really need. If 99% if of the people just did those two things, they would be sailing. Leave all the pictures out, leave all the color out, leave everything else out. Yeah, just get rid of the crap. So let's jump into the details. Point number three, color. How do you determine, what do you think about color on the webs here? Um, I think color is something that everybody has an opinion about. It's the easiest aesthetic to fixate on. Mm -hmm. And so people tend to go overboard with color. And the one thing you have to ask yourself with color is very simple, which is what is the psychological role of color in your site? What's its job? So if you're introducing lots of colors to your site and they don't have jobs, then that will confuse people. So people have psychological um, associations with color. For example, on a lot of these sites these days, well, two, two trends I see, a lot of monochromatics, yeah. right? And then also there's this trend where you use an action color throughout your site. Yeah. So there'll be, uh, let's say a blue, like on Mark's site, right? There's a blue for the play button, then there's a blue for the sign up button. It's kind of consistent. So that every time you see blue, that's an action item. Correct. That's it. So every time you see it, you're saying to the user, you know, this is buy this means buying something. This means you're entering your email address for subscribing to an email list. The yellow button on Amazon means you're putting something in your basket. Right. And there's not a lot of other yellow buttons on the Amazon interface, right? Because no. you don't want it to be confusing. Yellow always means buy. Yeah, yellow means buy. I'm ready to buy. Tell us about the, the role of white space and great website design. <clears throat> um, good white space creates balance in your design and your site, you know? And so a lot of times I think there's the um, designers, especially when people are out, outsourcing design to uh, here in Asia, the, the quality of the design is not good because people just want to cram every single space with some type of element. Right. And so the idea is, you know, white space actually you know, creates balance in your design and that um, you, you don't need to fill every single space with something. You know, John, I'm gonna make a confession here. One, one of my tricks, and this, is, this kinda has to do with the, all the points above and all the points that we're gonna talk about here, yeah. is I tend to copy a website. And I don't blatantly rip it off, but I look at something that looks really nice that I can identify with that a professional's done and, yeah. I, and I model my site after it. I think that's fine. You know, I, I think everybody steals. So <laughs> yeah, I think that's fine. Feel better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the design cops won't knock on your door. Point number five, photos and graphic elements. This is a number, another like really simple way that you can sort of rocket fuel. Yeah, we do it with our e-commerce sites. I mean, we've even started sites that we were like, we're just gonna have better photography. And that's worked out for us. I think photography is a huge, huge thing because it infuses emotion into your product. You know, so if you're just putting a picture of a raw product on there, if we're selling tea kettles and there's just a picture of a raw tea kettle there, it better be a really stunning object. Um, very few people make objects that stunning. Maybe mm -hmm. Apple and where their product can do the talking. Most of the time, I think good lifestyle photography, good, you know, showing people using that, pictures of faces, these kinds of things really help uh, drive the impact of your site home. What happened for a while was stock photography just got out of control, right? So that, that very idea that you presented just there, just then, you know, 
that idea existed and then everyone went out and got stock photography. So how do you reel it in? Um, you know, how, how do you not make it so fake? Uh, use your iPhone. I mean, I've seen better pictures coming out of an iPhone, you know, um, yeah. than, uh, than a professional photographer sometimes um, because it has a, an element of rawness to it that might be appropriate depending on the use case. 500px works pretty well. You, yeah. can, you can do Flickr searches for Creative Commons. Yeah. Um, the stock photography has to go. It's, the graphics have to go. Yeah. I, I think th this... The this, cartoony sort of illustrations, you that, know? That doesn't do anything for anybody, does it? I don't... I, I don't think so. And again, you know, it has to have a job, right? So what is the job of the graphic element or the image, you know? And, and that should... Uh, again, strike some kind of emotion, uh, association, etc. in the mind of the user. I'm designing a site right now, John, and you've seen it, so don't beat me up too bad, but uh, <laughs> a lot of people are using this like vector-based, uh, one-color, um, little little icons, graphic things, yeah. icons, too. What, what's your thoughts on those? Uh, if, they, if they're appropriate in use, that's fine. Um, I'll beat up on WordPress here for a second. There was a conversation going on in the DC about the redesign of the WordPress interface. There's uh -huh. a new image up there. And it looks like a total pig pen to me. It's just a mess. And if you look, that, one of the reasons is because, the, in my opinion, the composition window for composing a new WordPress post has so much junk around it, clutters of icons. There must be 15 icons on one side. There must be 20 icons on the other. It's the most uh, jolting thing that gets in the way of something very simple, which is just typing words on a page. Speaking of very simple, number six, call to action. Um, you know, we were talking a lot about the websites with follow me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, sign up for my mailing list, read my about page. It's tough. There's this temptation to want to just say one more thing. Yeah. And it's like, well, I've got you here now. So the fallacy is, is well, I'm going to put a bunch of stuff in front of you because I want to make sure you know I've got all this stuff. And by the way, to that point, like how long do you have most people's attention for, have you found? Eight seconds, if you're lucky. Eight seconds. So you're saying sign up for my mailing list, follow right. me on Twitter, uh, go to Facebook, write You have to article. choose, right? I'm on Google+, Plus. Um, all that all that stuff. Right. It's just junk. By the so, way, we, we can find you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? You know, it's not that hard. Um, and usually, you know, you have one goal. So I look at each page, and each page has a job. And what's the number one thing? thing you want me to do on that page what's the call to action you know and how does your headline your benefit statement and your call to action meaning you know what do you want me to do what are you telling me to do I'll tell you what we, we've got this e-commerce site right now Dan and uh, it's it's got this problem right where there's like all these call to actions on the front end and you think well how do you decide it you know I'm making money from all these that might not be how most people find your site so, you know, uh, just through that homepage, right? So, you know, the calls to action and how you organize your site could be, you should test it. Every site nowadays has to be responsive, number seven. If you, some people are saying that 30, 40% of their traffic is on mobile. Yeah, I think if you're not considering mobile, you're just leaving money on the table. It's that okay, simple. So what responsive means is uh, basically your website shows up properly on an iPhone, an iPad, the seven-inch uh, television screen in the back of my Cadillac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All that, right? Yeah, I mean, responsive means just that, that the site responds and displays correctly on a mobile device, a tablet device, and so on, and it looks good on those devices. It's not a jumbled mess. And so there's frameworks that you can design your interface in 
to support a responsive design. So framework means it's a collection of JavaScript and CSS that does the hard work for you of adapting your design to be responsive for different uh, mediums. Awesome, and who are you using? Uh, we use Twitter Bootstrap. Uh, we use another one called Foundation. Um, so those two are the ones I've primarily have worked with, but there's probably 10 on the market now, 15, who knows. So let's talk finally about design hierarchy. This is some insider, yeah, what does that this mean? Is, this is deep stuff. Uh, we're we're deep into the 20% yeah. of the 80-20 rule here. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know hierarchy basically is tying all these elements together. So if you think about the hierarchy of information on your page, right, it's how you tie together typography, color, your call to action, the alignment of your elements, the white space, and so on, and how does that paint a cohesive picture? of what it is you're offering and what's so great about it for me and you want me and why am I going to take action? Awesome. So it's basically like a composition of all the other elements that we already talked about. Yeah. You know, uh, so for example, like a great hierarchy of information for a standard landing page for a software as a service product might be, um, you know, big simple statement. Tell me exactly what it is that you offer. Uh, show me exactly the benefit. You might break down the three features underneath that that are the most important to me. You might show me some social proof underneath that, meaning what are other people saying about this product, and you might then give me the opportunity to sign up. It's a, it's kind of like a journey, these new landing pages, right? Like arrive at the top and then you go as if you want people to learn the information in the order in which you want them to hear them. Yeah, and the, and the beauty about landing pages these days that is different from, let's say, five... 10 years ago even, is we used to design for above the fold, and you can pretty much forget that concept now. People scroll. People scroll. So, you know, there's this old concept of, you know, uh, designing for above the fold, but really, with iPhones, iPads, that is such a baked-in gesture to, that probably a billion people on this planet are familiar with, that scrolling is not an issue. And, That's interesting. And, you know, people aren't going to just immediately see your headline above the fold and dig in and buy. John, do you think babies in the future will be born and able to double-click without them? <laughs> <laughs> do you think that's something that's going to be in our so. DNA? I hope so. Touch and hold, yeah. John, can you hook us up with some linksies for uh, some great landing pages for this blog post? This is episode... 39, so we'll have some of your stuff over there so people can. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Uh, people can uh, check out some of the stuff I've done. Uh, be launching johnmyers.com, which is uh, sort of a landing page personal site uh, as well. Um, I love MailChimp. I love the simplicity of the MailChimp uh, homepage. It says exactly what they do and it, it immediately allows me to try the product, um, which I like a lot. Awesome, John. And where are you going to be speaking this week? Uh, the World Bank is offering a entrepreneur boot camp, and so uh, we'll be teaching UI and UX there. In Saigon. Very yeah, cool. With Guy Kawasaki, which is even cooler. Wow. Oh, thanks for joining us, John. All right. Thank you. You know, Ian, at the beginning of the interview with John, I sort of tossed out Mark Manson's case study at markmanson.net, and I realized I didn't even check with him. Yeah, and maybe we made some assumptions. We, made, we, we maybe made some assumptions. So I actually reached out to Mark and asked him about all this, and it turns out, of course, the story is much more complex than we thought. He didn't just make his site look good. It was like that idea of branding from the top level. Like, this is high-level strategy stuff, and it turns out, 
that his brand was hurting him in some ways. It's interesting, Dan, to, to think, could he have started with Mark Manson or did he need to start with Post Masculine? Also, I want you to listen to how Mark focused on the one thing and how much it hurt. It was like sort of a risk, but he figured, what is the one thing I want my audience to do on my site? And I'm gonna change my entire design to cater to that. In 2011, I founded a site called postmasculine.com. It was a self-help website designed for men. What I noticed this year is that I kind of hit a ceiling in terms of uh, my growth and, and the demographic I was appealing to. And one of the big issues was, unfortunately, there's a lot of social shame involved with men wanting to improve themselves or improve their emotional lives. They, they feel like it's something that they can't broadcast out there. The other issue I started to have or started to notice in 2013 is that I developed a lot of female readers and I would consistently get emails from them saying, I loved your last article, but does that apply to women too? The answer was pretty much always yes. And so I just kind of arrived at the conclusion, like, why am I discouraging women from reading me and focusing on a demographic of men who are ashamed of promoting my brand. So I switched from postmasculine to markmanson.net. The first month's growth in terms of uh, traffic was stupefying. I, I had 1.1 million page views in the first month. I, I knew that even if I, if I suffered some short-term losses that I was raising the ceiling or raising the potential of my, my business. The, the design, pretty unconventional and, and pretty atypical, especially for a blog. Uh, if you, if you want to look at it, it's markmanson.net. What I noticed over the years is that doing like a big pitch fest on my site never really worked. The more people read me, read my content, the more loyal they become towards me and, and the more they end up buying. And so I've slowly reoriented all my marketing away from kind of the pitch direct sales copy uh, route and more towards simply doing whatever is possible to get people to read my content. So it's a very minimalistic design. There's lots of very large pictures that are nice and pretty. The text and font is very big. There's a lot of time spent on uh, formatting the fonts, the alignments, things like that. It, it, it's, it looks pretty simplistic, but it's, there's a lot of thought that went into it. There's no sidebars whatsoever. It was a little bit of a gamble on my part, um, but that's proven to be uh, advantageous as well. All the on-site metrics are up, time on page, average page views, reorienting everything purely for the reading experience, giving people the, the absolute best reading experience possible. Aside from the, the massive amount of new traffic, um, sales went up quite a bit. Uh, email subscriptions went up quite a bit. So it, ultimately, it, it all kind of paid off. As someone who doesn't draw very pretty pictures, I love how strategic design can be. I mean, it's not just a matter of the classic, put Optimizely on your website, watch Google Analytics, and then change it from blue to red, and all of a sudden it's going to change everything. I mean, the kinds of strategies these guys are advocating are really high level. Yeah, Mark uh, essentially knew what his audience wanted, which was to read his articles. That's the most important thing on a site, and no piece of analytics is going to tell you that. Yeah, it's really cool. I, it took a lot of bravery for him to optimize for that, and... Uh, I think that's pretty cool. It's difficult for entrepreneurs to not want to be everything to everybody all the time and follow me on G plus while you're at it. (laughs) (laughs) 
A lot of the listeners know you and I are starting a software application company, so we've decided to take the plunge and go to MicroConf in Europe. So if any of you guys out there are going to the Prague event, do reach out to us. We look forward to meeting you. And if any of you are interested in coming to our Bangkok event in October, we squeezed out a few extra tickets so you can reach out to me, Dan, at tropicalmba.com. So Ian, before we get off the podcast, what are you excited about this week? I am excited, uh, like you said, because we're working on a SaaS app. I'm excited about SaaS cancellation rates. <laughs> Can't get enough of it. Direct you over to uh, Jason Cohen's blog, A Smart Bear. Dot com. He's got a great article reframing SaaS cancellation rates. Also, with relation to that, there's a blog called chaotic-flow.com. I recommend that you read some of his stuff too if you're interested in working the numbers on your SaaS business. Speaking of working, I'm interested in not doing it, and that's why I'm going to point you guys to Sean Ogle's blog. He's a really interesting blog post called Why You Shouldn't Work Past 12 Noon. And I know uh, what you're going to think when you read this article. You're going to love it. You're going to think, I'm going to take all of Sean's advice and then I'm going to work afternoon too. Yeah, I was just thinking, what what a contrast in stories that we're sharing this week. I'm going to optimize my before noon time, and then I'm going to double down. Anyway, we really appreciate you making the Tropical MBA podcast part of your week, and we'll see you uh, next Thursday morning. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. Again, we've got our complete audio archive available at tropicalmba.com. That's the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. Also, every episode has complete notes with links. If you're interested in something we talked about, check out the site. And as always, we'll see you next Thursday morning. Yeah, buddy.